Thank you for listening to excerpts of banned and challenged books performed by Book It Repertory Theater at the Seattle Public Library on Monday, September 21st. The Danger Books Program is a celebration of intellectual freedom. We would like to thank the Seattle Public Library Foundation for this program. So before I introduce Book It, I'm going to talk about, we get some of the same questions year after year. And one of the things that people ask is, does Seattle Public Library ban book or ban books? And it's a fair question. And what happens sort of in our community? Um, we have an entire review board of people that are administration and librarians. And people do write in suggestions and comments. And one of the things that there is that we have is a form for if you want materials removed from the Seattle Public Library, if you have concerns about materials, if you think materials should be moved. So we do get those kinds of requests and suggestions, and our review board does review them. Um, in the years that I've been here at Seattle Public Library and in the years preceding me, typically no books have been removed from the library. There has been times when um, one or two items have been changed from an area. So there was, long before me, it was about, I think, 10 years ago, uh, Watership Down, the movie, was in the children's section. And the review board did review that and decide that they were going to move that into the adult section. So they didn't take it out of the Seattle Public Library, but they did move sections. Um, some of the things that we get requests to remove in our community, does anybody have an idea what you think some things might be? Yeah. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. What else? Any other things that you think in our community? Yeah. To Kill Mockingbird. What about else in our community? Any other thoughts? Yeah. So it's actually not those common ones that you think about all the time. I'm not saying that those have never been challenged here at Seattle Public Library, but often challenges reflect the community you live in. And we live in a particularly liberal community in Seattle. Some of the things that have been challenged are things that people don't like. And so it's, it's difficult, right? It's not always these things we hear of. So we have had books challenged that had to do with um, religious perspectives on homosexuality. That's been challenged, but we kept that in the library as well. We've had things that were challenged that were um, considered not uh, animal friendly. So there was a woman that was a big supporter of PETA that wanted to challenge some things. So in our community, it might not always, be, and in any community, it might not be exactly what you think. We hear a lot about the Harry Potters and the To Kill a Mockingbirds, and those are books that are challenged a lot. But sometimes a book that you think is great and you totally support might be challenged in those cases. It may also be a book that you actually don't like, that it is against your opinions. And that is where challenged and banned books gets difficult because we have to support all of them, right, even if it's not our opinion. So it's easy to say those people are wacky that want to ban Harry Potter. It's maybe a little harder for some people to say, well, I don't agree with this perspective, but I'm going to support this book being in the library. So does that make sense? It's something that um, we don't talk about a lot during ban and challenge books. So there's a lot of unsavory stuff for everybody in the library. And essentially, there's something in this building to offend every one of us. And that's good. That's actually what you want, right? Because if we only had one set of perspectives, those would get narrower and narrower. So trust me, there's lots that offends me in this library. And I put it on display, and I support it every day being here. Um, there's stuff that offends Hayden, I'm certain, and everybody else in that room. So that's just a little bit to think about when you're talking about um, Seattle Public Library and our community. All right? So 
book it all over, what we're going to see today is an education and community. Wait a minute, I'm sorry. Is there any questions about that or any thoughts that anybody wanted to say before we go on? Any comments? No, you guys are a quiet group. There will be more questions and comments at the end. Time for that. Okay. Book It All Over is an education and community outreach program. Book It Repertory Theater is different from other theater you may have seen. The Book It style of theater uses almost every word that the author has written. Actors speak both the narrative and the dialogue. Today's actors will be reading selections from books that have been banned or challenged in the United States. The chosen selections demonstrate some of the reasons these books have been banned or challenged. This program is a celebration of the First Amendment, specifically the freedom of speech. Book It All Over's mission is to inspire people of all ages to read. The show today you will see is Danger Books. And today's readings are Fat Kid, Fat Kid Rules the World. Has anybody read that book? A couple people. Yep. Call of the Wild. Has anybody ever read that book? Some people. And Uncle Bobby's Wedding. Anybody run that? A couple people, yeah. Excellent. Okay. This program was adapted by Laura Ferry and directed by Laura Ferry. And the actors are John Ullman, Patrick Alcorn, Shermona Mitchell, and Terry Wiegand. Is that right? Okay, good. I got it. This program is supported in part by a grant from Humanities Washington, a statewide nonprofit organization supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities, the State of Washington, and contributions from individuals and foundations. And of course, the Seattle Public Library and the Seattle Public Library Foundation. So really quick before we start, my name is Jennifer. I'm one of the teen service librarians here. This is Hayden. She's the other one. Anytime you guys have any questions about books to read or things for research that you need, come down here and find us. We do a lot and we work a lot with the center school. I'll be teaching database classes to the juniors and the seniors this year as usual. So you'll encounter me later on. But do come down and let us help you guys if you have questions. All right? Thanks. Hi, I'm Terry. I'm Patrick. I'm Shimona. And I'm John. We are from Book It Repertory Theater. Book It's mission is to bring great literature to life. Today's performance is Danger Books. Scenes from books that have been challenged or banned in schools and public libraries. And before we begin, let's define some terms. A challenge is an attempt to remove or restrict materials based upon the objections of a person or a group. A banning is the removal of those materials. So how does a book get challenged? Well, in public libraries, it begins when someone finds a book, video, or recording offensive and takes the concern to a librarian. The librarian listens to the concern and explains the library's collection policies. If this patron is not satisfied with this discussion, he or she is offered the opportunity to put the objection in writing. Now, libraries take these requests very seriously, so the challenged material goes through a thoughtful review process until a decision has been made. The process may be slightly different in every state. The result, one of three things can happen. One, the book is allowed to remain on the shelf. Two, the book is restricted. For example, access may be limited only to adults. Or three, the book is banned, removed from the shelves of that library. The process in the public school system is different from the public libraries because schools serve a different community, students in an academic environment. The materials in a school library are there primarily to support the curriculum. This, the review process varies from district to district but is guided by the state. So on with the program, let's hear some forbidden pages from some dangerous books. Our first selection is from the classic novel, The Call of the Wild. Buck has been kidnapped from his home in California and trained to be a sled dog in Alaska during the gold rush. The Call of the Wild by Jack London, Chapter 3, The Dominant Primordial Beast. 
The dominant primordial beast was strong in Buck, and under the fierce conditions of trail life, it grew and grew. Instincts long dead became alive again. His newborn cunning gave him poise and control. The lead dog was a big, snow-white fellow from Spitsbergen. He was friendly. In a treacherous sort of way. Smiling into one's face the while. He meditated some underhand trick. <laughs> In the, In the bitter, bitter hatred between him and Spitz, Buck at first betrayed no impatience. On the other hand, possibly because he divined in Buck a dangerous rival, Spitz never lost an opportunity of showing his teeth. He even went out of his way to bully Buck, striving constantly to start the fight, which could only end in the death of one or the other. From then on, it was war between them. Spitz, as acknowledged master of the team, felt his supremacy challenged by this strange Southland dog. Buck was a masterful dog. It was inevitable that the clash for leadership should come. Buck wanted it. He wanted it because it was his nature. Because he had been gripped tight by that nameless, incomprehensible pride of the trail and trace. That pride which holds dog in the toil to the last gas. That lures them to die joyfully in the harness. And breaks their heart if they are cut out of the harness. Every night. Regularly at nine, at twelve. And three, they lifted a nocturnal song. A weird and eerie chant. In which it was Buck's delight to join. With the Arroyo Berealis flaming coldly overhead. Or the stars leaping in a frost dance. And the land numb and frozen under the pall of snow. This song might have been the defiance of life. It was invested with a woe of unnumbered generations. When Buck moaned and sobbed, it was with the pain of living that was of old. The pain of his wild fathers and the fear and mystery of the cold and dark. In the days that followed, Buck never came near Spitz without snarling and bristling menacingly. He was even given to swaggering up and down before his very nose. One night, at the mouth of the Takina, a dog turned up, a snowshoe rabbit. In a second, the whole team was in, in full cry. <laughs> the rabbit sped down the river. Turned off into a small creek. Buck led the pack, but he could not gain. He lay down low to the race, whining eagerly, his splendid, splendid body flashing forward, leap by leap in the white moonlight. And leap by leap, the snowshoe rabbit flashed on ahead. All the stirrings of old instincts which drive men to kill things. The bloodlust. The joy to kill. All this was Bucks. He was running down the wild thing, the living meat, to kill with his own teeth and wash his muzzle to the eyes in warm blood. Oh. An ecstasy that marks the summit of life came to Buck, leading the pack, sounding the old wolf cry. Oh. Straining after the food that was alive, that fled swiftly before him through the moonlight. But Spitz, cold and calculating, left the pack and cut across where the creek made a long bend. Buck did not know of this, and as he rounded the bend, the frost wraith of a rabbit still flitting before him. Buck saw a larger rape leaf from the bank in the path of the rabbit. It was Spitz. The rabbit could not turn. The white teeth broke its back in midair. <laughs> The full pack at Buck's heels raised a hell's course of delight. Buck did not cry out. He drove in upon Spitz, shoulder to shoulder, so hard he missed the throat. They rolled over and over. 
Spitz gained his feet, slashing Bach down the shoulder and leaping clear. Twice his teeth clipped together as he backed away for better footing. With lips that writhed and snarled, the, the time had come. It was to the death as they circled about, snarling. Ears laid back, keenly watchful for the advantage. There was not the faintest whisper of air. Thus the visible breaths of the dogs rising slowly and lingering in the frosty air. They had made short work of the rabbit. Now we're drawn up in the expectant circle. Spitz was a practiced fighter. Bitter rage was his, but never blind rage. In vain, Buck strove to sink his teeth into the neck of the big white dog. Wherever his fangs struck for softer flesh, they were countered by the fangs of Spitz. Ah! Fang crashed fang. Ah, but Buck could not penetrate his enemy's guard. Time and time again, he tried for the snow white throat. And each time and every time, Spitz slashed him and got away. Then, Buck took to rushing, as though for the throat, when suddenly, drawing back, he would drive for the shoulder at Spitz to overthrow him. But instead, Buck's shoulder was slashed each time as Spitz leaped lightly away. Spitz was untouched. Ah, while Buck was streaming with blood and panting hard. The fight was growing desperate, and all the while the silent and whiffish circle waited to finish whichever dog went down. As Buck grew winded, Spitz took to rushing, and he kept him staggering for footing. So once Buck went over, and the whole circle of dogs started up, but Buck recovered himself, and the circle sank down again and waited. But Buck possessed a quality that made for greatness. Imagination. He rushed as though attempting the old shoulder trick, but at the last instant, swept low. His teeth closed on Buck's and Spitz's left foreleg. There was a crunch of breaking bone. And the white dog faced him on three legs. Thrice Buck tried to knock him over, and then repeated the trick and broke his right foreleg. Despite the pain and helplessness, Spitz struggled madly to keep up. He saw the silent circle with, with gleaming eyes and lolling tongues closing in upon him as he had seen similar circles close in upon beaten antagonists in the past. Only this time he was the one who was beaten. There was no hope for him. Buck was inexorable. Mercy was a thing reserved for gentler climbs. He maneuvered for the final rush. The circle had tightened. Every animal was motionless. Only Spitz quivered and bristled as he staggered back and forth, snarling with horrible menace, as though to frighten off impending death. Then Buck sprang. The dark circle became a dot on the moon-flooded snow. Spitz disappeared, disappeared from, from view. Buck stood on and looked. The successful champion. The dominant primordial beast who had made his kill and found it good. The classic novel, The Call of the Wild by Jack London, was frequently banned in Europe during the 1920s and 1930s, most famously in the Nazi book burnings of 1933. London's writing was considered socialist friendly and too radical. Our next selection is from Fat Kid Rules the World. Troy Billings, a 300-pound depressed teenager, encounters a homeless musical genius in a New York subway station. Fat Kid Rules the World by K.D. Going, chapters 1 through 7. I'm a fucking 300-pound teenager living in the most unforgiving city on earth. 
I'm ugly and dumb, make stupid noises when I breathe, and I have no friends. So I'm standing on the edge of a subway platform, staring at the tracks. Would it be funny if the fat kid got splattered by a subway train? <laughs> Is that funny? Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 the train is coming. <laughs> You're laughing at me. Huh? You're laughing at me. No. Well, who the hell is talking to me? I have to scan the entire subway platform before I find the voice. The guy is so filthy, I can hardly take my eyes off him. I mean, he's caked. And there's one more thing I notice. And if I'm telling the truth, I should admit that I noticed it first. He's the skinniest person I've ever seen. You mocking me? <laughs> now that was funny. <laughs> Kurt McRae. That's when I just about pissed my pants. Kurt McRae, the only truly homeless, sometimes student. Sometimes dropout. Punk rock artist god among us. The only one who's ever played a concert at the dump. The only one the bands invite to hang with them. The only one to get in five fights in one day and get the crap beaten out of him in all five. And still have everyone's respect. Kurt McRae, the only fucking genius guitar player I've ever seen. Troy, Troy Billings. Oh, it comes out starstruck. Uh, Kurt makes a face as the F train speeds into the station. Uh, uh that's my train. Hell it is. What? You owe me lunch. What? I just saved your life. It's the least you could do. Aw, uh, I wasn't gonna jump. Were? I was watching you for like an hour. Three trains passed and you never looked up from the tracks. Then the insane laughter and I knew you'd lost it. I said to myself, Kurt, you saved this kid's life, he will surely buy you lunch. Oh, he's completely wrong about saving my life. But I'm hungry. And by some freak occurrence in the universe, Kurt McRae appears to want to have lunch with me. Oh, so I go, Dine, he says, as if the word explains it all. How much money you got? Twenty. Mm. Oh, we wait to be seated. The waitress approaches. Oh, uh -uh. Kurt looks like a blonde ferret. Stringy, unwashed hair, huge eyes. Jeans that are barely recognizable. Stained white t-shirt, ratty old sweater. He looks like an old war victim from some black and white film. The waitress gives us the look. The one where her eyebrows shoot to her forehead. At this point, she tries to make an effort to control them by turning them into motherly concern. Doesn't work. She doesn't look like a mom. She's got big hair, big earrings, and big breasts. You boys want a seat, she asks, as if it's something special she's doing. Uh, just for us. Kurt doesn't hear. He's too busy rubbing his hands together like one of those mad men in the old monster movies. Twenty, huh? He licks his lip and grins, slides into the booth beside the window. Even though the waitress has clearly leading them to a table in the back. Mm. I think I'm about to eat lunch with Kurt McRae at a Bleecker Street dive. Me and the psycho Elvis of rock hanging out. Huh, not bad for the fat kid, right? The waitress is wearing a short black skirt, white blouse. The buttons on her sleeves are undone. And I can see her bare wrists, erotic. I'm practically salivating just looking at them. Uh, grilled cheese. <laughs> she smiles and her eyebrows go up again. Uh, and french fries. No, yes, no, damn, damn, damn! Ah, shit. Yes, french fries and ketchup. Lots of ketchup. Oh, man, Kurt grins so big. I think his face will split. 
I make a mental note. Skinny blonde kid excited about food. Very funny. And for you. Oh, God, I want to touch her. Her legs were long and full. And if I could just reach under that skirt. I need to control myself. Must not be sex-starved loser. Duh, drop a sweat lens on my menu. I, I stare at it, then wipe it off with my shirt. A same, no fries. Are you sure? I'm not. In truth, I want to order everything on the menu, but... Ah, screw it. Give me the fries with lots of ketchup. I, I know your music. Huh? I mean, I heard a bootleg of a show you played with Smack Metal Puppets. Yeah? It was so great. Really great. Mm. Really, really great. Grilled cheese. Finally. And fries. <sighs> Kurt actually gets tears in his eyes. He leans close to the table and puts his dirty head near the food. It appears as if he's listening to it. The waitress can't keep her eyes off him. For that matter, no one in the whole goddamn diner can take their eyes off him. Kurt goes straight for the ketchup bottle, pours a dollop onto his spoon, and eats it directly. Oh! Watching Kurt eat is somewhere between appalling and torturous. It's appalling because he puts so much ketchup on everything. Oh. And it's torturous because he enjoys it so much. He's extremely emotional about everything he eats. Well, um, you boys yell if you need anything. The waitress backs away from fish. She'll miss something. I can't blame her. I don't touch my food the whole time Kurt is eating. Nobody make any noises. While Kurt fills his skinny body with ketchup and processed cheese. And the world stops while the skinny kid eats. Now, fuck that. But God, I wish I was him. Oh, when Kurt's done, he leans back and drums on the table with one finger and practically weeps again. <laughs> the waitress has been hovering, and, and now she asks if he wants dessert. Oh, no, thank you. Are you sure? It's on the house. Oh, can't. Besides, Troy hasn't eaten yet. <laughs> He's right. For once, I haven't eaten a thing. Uh, Kurt watches me eat. His eyes track each bite. Oh, oh, oh man, I'm sick. Oh, I shouldn't have had those French fries. Oh, oh, oh. I'm convinced he's shooting up in the men's room. Oh, oh maybe he is. Who knows? Oh, I'm sweating again. Oh, the waitress slides across from me. Who's your friend, sweetheart? Is he all right? God, she's hot. I sit there and wonder if someone as disgusting as I am will ever, ever see a woman naked. <clears throat> yeah, he, he's all right. He just uh, gets sick a lot. He's got stomach problems and he doesn't get to eat. So when he does get to eat, it makes him sick. Does he need to see a doctor? Nah, he just needs to eat better. She nods in agreement. Oh, as the bathroom door at the end of the diner opens. She winks and slides out of the booth. I can feel the heat rising through my body as she leans in close. Tell him he can eat here anytime. Her hot breath on my neck. As she walks away. And I can't take my eyes off her. Oh, that's more attention than I've received from a female during my entire adolescence. Order something else. I don't feel so good. Oh, we got to stay till I feel better. I've got to get home, Kurt. Oh, come on, man. I got to stay till I feel better. Just order a soda or something. 
Please? Oh, it's the please that gets me. Okay. Carpa pulls out a whole slew of tablets. Drugs? When drugs don't come in individually wrapped pharmacy sealed silver packets, do they? Oh, I freak. Emodium. Not heroin. Emodium. I blush with embarrassment. Let's just state from the beginning that I don't have AIDS or some mysterious disease. I'm not dying, not even homeless all the time. No one beats me or fucks me without my permission. You got that? This isn't some after-school special where you learn to love yourself by saving my sorry ass. I saved you, remember? Let's keep that straight. I'm so red I've turned purple. I like the late things on the line. Life ain't Hollywood. Oh, oh life is shit. I want to leave. Oh, but Kurt wants to talk. He's entered this strange zone between hyper and comatose. Where do you live? Lower East Side. Yeah, what school? W.T. Watson. No shit. That's my school. Like it? The question throws me. As if Kurt's mind can honestly conceive that I, a six foot one inch, 300 pound, 17 year old, could possibly enjoy public school in a city full of aspiring models? No. Huh. I like school. It was okay. I'm thinking, of course you did. You had a band. You were cool. People wanted to be you. I don't say that. Instead, I say, oh, where do you live now? <laughs> well, that's a good question. And I can tell you the answer because I wouldn't want to keep anything from my friend who just bought me lunch. You see, technically, and this is only in the technical sense, legal court orders and all. So technically, I live with my father. But that's hard to do, really, so I don't. You know, mostly because he kicked me out a couple of times and left. What about your mom? Yeah, of course, that's where I live. Mostly. Except she married this wife-beater hypocrite asshole, so really it's more like I used to live with her, but now not really some of the time. So where exactly does that mean you live? You know, all over. In lobbies. With friends, Smack Metal Puppets. Oh, that's the name of a local punk band in the village. I have everything they've ever produced. They are amazing musicians, ultra-hip in an emaciated, alienated sort of way. Smack Metal Puppets? Yeah. You like them? Ever go to a show? No. I mean, yeah, I like them, but I've never been to a show. Man, Big T, you should go, raw stuff. It's at this precise moment that I decide to stay as long as Kurt wants me to. He doesn't know it, but he's just uttered the one phrase, the one letter that will buy him whatever he wants for the rest of the day. Fat Kid just got a nickname. Fat Kid Rules the World was banned last year from the Pickens County, South Carolina middle and high school libraries because the language, the sexual references, and drug use were deemed inappropriate for students. Our last selection is from Uncle Bobby's Wedding, a picture book about guinea pigs. Uncle Bobby's Wedding by Sarah S. Brennan. Bobby was Chloe's favorite uncle. They went for long walks together. He took her rowing on the river. <laughs> and he taught her all the names of the stars. Uh, Cassiopeia. Cassio who? Oh, once they even climbed to the top of the lighthouse. <laughs> Can we live here, said Chloe? Oh, I'd like that, said Uncle Bobby. Uh. Oh. 
Wendy, Mama had a picnic for the whole family. There were pickles and olives and oh, cucumber sandwiches. And pumpkin cookies. Oh, one. One. Bobby and his friend Jamie and brought bottles of fuzzy cider. <laughs> we're getting married, said Uncle Bobby. Oh, Mama whooped and hugged him. <laughs> and she shook hands with Jamie. Oh, you get over here. Oh. <laughs> Everyone was smiling and talking and crying and laughing. Everyone except Chloe. Mama, said Chloe. I don't understand. How can Uncle Bobby get married? Well, Bobby and Jamie love each other, said Mama. When grown-up people love each other that much, they want to get married. But, said Chloe, Bobby's my special uncle. I don't want him to get married. I think you should talk to him. Let's go for a walk, said Uncle Bobby. He and Chloe took their favorite path through the field. Why do you have to get married, said Chloe? Well, Jamie and I want to live together and have our own family now. You want to have your own kids? Only if they're just like you. That's a pretty good reason, but... But what? I still don't think you should get married. You have me. We can keep having fun together like always. Oh, I promise we'll keep having fun. You're it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll always be my Chloe. <laughs> Jamie and Bobby asked Chloe to go to the ballet with them. Afterwards, they had ice cream sodas. <laughs> and Jamie imitated the ballet dancers. Na, 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 na. games with Bobby. And Jamie. Go to jail. <laughs> they toasted marshmallows near the fireplace. I wish you were both my uncles. Well, you get your wish, sweetheart. When we get married, you'll have an Uncle Jamie, too. Huh. You'll still be my one and only Uncle Bobby, though, promised Chloe. <laughs> when we get married, would you do us the honor of being our flower girl? What kind of cake are you having? What kind of cake do you like? Carrot cake! <laughs> Carrot cake it is! <laughs> okay, I'll be your flower girl. <laughs> on the day of the wedding. Chloe put on her brand new dress. Oh, everyone was excited and busy. busy. Oh, Uncle Bobby lost the ring. Oh, oh Jamie couldn't tie the bow tie! Jack, Bobby's jacket oh. pocket. Ah! <laughs> and she helped Jamie with his tie. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> and she helped Mama put the finishing touches on the wedding cake. You. <laughs> We're ready. Oh. An afternoon breeze cooled the garden. Daisies and buttercups bloomed in the grass, and the air smelt like roses. 
published last year was re uh, recently caused a great deal of controversy in Castle Rock, Colorado, where many patrons petitioned to have it removed from the library because some material may be inappropriate for young children. A local librarian, Jamie LaRue, has written eloquently on the need to keep the book in the library. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. Thank you. Well, thank you, everybody. Thanks so much for, uh, for being such a great audience and sticking with us through some can-be-challenging material. Uh, we really appreciate your attention. This uh, whole idea of intellectual freedom the idea of unrestricted access to information and ideas. It's a many-sided issue. There's no right or wrong answer here. We're not trying to get you to think in a particular way about this material. We just want to get you thinking, period, and make up your own minds about what's appropriate for you and your community. So we are just about out of time. Uh, we just want to leave you. Uh, you all seem like a pretty liberal group and think you, know, you weren't offended by any of this stuff. It's like, just to show the other side of it, I'm sure there's something in the world that offends you. There are ideas out there that offend you. Think of the worst thing that you can think of. Put that in a book, and then put that in your library, and then think, are you okay with that? Because these people who are trying to challenge these books, it's really not you know, just a very narrow, closed-minded thing. They're actually, a lot of them are trying to do it, like she said, in the name of their children. They're trying to protect you from harmful ideas that they think. So it's the same thing. So, Though we're not really promoting any kind of view on this material, we are promoting discussion. If you are, your First Amendment right protects your right to read these books, it protects your right to challenge these books. And the best way to combat somebody who is challenging something that you believe in is to have knowledge about why they're doing it and have a discussion with them. Because if theirs are just based on unfounded fears, if you tell them, hey, look, I know about drugs. I'm not going to take drugs because I read this book. It may, you know, make them calm down a little bit. Or if, you know, like there's something out there that you don't like at all. Try to have an open mind and, and hear what the other perspective is. So you can be, have a, 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 an intellectual conversation 
about what this is and the decisions that you're making for your community. Thank you. Thanks. This program was presented by the Washington Center for the Book at the Seattle Public Library. Thank you for listening to this library podcast.